Nothing else, even though it may seem so good and so welcome, I'm nothing compared to how good you are. Because you are the only one who sent your son to die on that cross so that we can sing this song that at the cross, your love ran red for us. And it was our sin that you washed away. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, as we dive back into our summer series of the seven churches, these seven letters, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking at, and we're looking at the church at Thyatira. Everybody say it with me, Thyatira. Just kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? I mean, that sounds like a really great city name, you know. How many of y'all would love to live in a place called Thyatira? Few of y'all laugh. Hey, laugh like, yeah, that's where I want to be. Um, maybe not, actually. Thi- Thyatira is the longest of the seven letters. It's kind of meets here in the middle of this series, and it's the longest letter and it's the most severe. And this is what we know about Thyatira. It was a pretty insignificant town. Like it, it wasn't this great metropolis of emperor worship. It didn't have this great temple of pagan gods. It it didn't have this great commerce that was running through there because it was at the mouth of the river and the sea. Like there was not anything notable in Thyatira when we think of big cultural significance. Thyatira was basically a bumper city. It was a city that existed for the purpose of slowing down militaries. So if, 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 if an army was going off to war and would go into attack somewhere and they were on the road, this city was basically created to slow them down. It was kind of like a speed bump. You know, if, if we're going 100 miles an hour and all of a sudden we hit a, hit a speed bump, what's it going to do? It's going to hurt. It's going to slow us down. But is it going to stop us? Not really. You might do some damage, but it ain't going to do anything of any significance. And, and that is what this city does. It, it was a speed bump on the road to a major city. What do we know about Thyatira? Thyatira was known for its guilds. And so I'm going to break that down for us just a moment. When we think of a guild. A guild was basically a group of people that gathered together with a specific trade. So if we had a guild of pit boss experts, like th- th- their job was they smoked meat all day. And as they smoked meat all day, this was what they did 24-7, and this is how they provided for the living. And then we have people that sold purple goods. And their, their job was they were really great at selling purple goods, and they created linens and fabrics and all this stuff. And then you had these people over here that were metal workers, and they were a guild of people that worked together and made metal and made metal works. And so you kind of see this guilds with people that work together with a common job. And Thyatira was well known for this. This was a city that had guilds that were working diligently to provide goods. We also know Thyatira from Lydia and Acts. If y'all remember, she was the seller of purple goods, which means she probably had pretty good money. Like she had a pretty good income. This is one of the things Thyatira was known for. It was a city that could produce fabric made out of purple. 
But outside of that, there was nothing spectacular about this place. But its guilds and its community in that respect played a major role in kind of what we see that takes place tonight. These guilds were the, the lifeblood of the city, which leads to this huge issue. Tonight, we're going to see a church who wrestled with how do we fit into a culture. Some people call this the, the Jezebel church. Some people call it a compromising church. But no matter what we call this, his word has something for us tonight. So let's dive in. If you have your Bibles, you open up with me to Revelation chapter 2. I'm going to start reading here in verse 18. It says this. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service, and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality, and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent for her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into the great tribulation. Unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what I have until I come. The one who conquers and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule with them with a rod of iron. As, he was, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I do thank you for this time you give us, God, to open your word, God, to pause for this moment, God, to, to study what your word has for us. And Lord, I pray as we come to this time, Lord, as we study your word, God, as we examine your text, Lord, I pray that, God, you will be magnified. God, I can pray we can remove whatever distractions are going on tonight. God, I pray that this will be a time that we can solely and wholly worship you. God, I pray you bless this time. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So guys, we see a few things here tonight. The first thing we see is the Son of God. Son of God, look back here with me at verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. We see this, that he is exerting himself as the Son of God. The angel is writing this letter to the church of Thyatira, and he says his eyes are like a flame of fire. What do you think he means when he says his eyes are like a flame of fire? This speaks of his omniscience, his penetrating perspective and piercing ability to see all that is. He sees all actions, thoughts, and emotions. Nothing escapes his vision. When he has eyes... Like a flame of fire, God knows everything. He knows everything. God searches into our innermost being and knows us. He has eyes 
like a flame of fire. He sees deep into the souls and depths of who we are. Not only does he see us deeply, but he says this has feet like burnished bronze. I said earlier the city was known for its bronze work, for its guilds and metalwork, and here it's basically painting this picture that Christ comes in with splendor and greatness, his strength. They were amazed and caught up of, wow, who God is and all these things. He's connecting to the culture and the bronze work, and he moves on from addressing who he is, making a claim that he is the Son of God, that I am who was and is and is to come. So he addresses who he is. He knows all things. He comes in strength and splendor. But then we see the second thing, this transition here into verse 19, is that the latter works are better than the first. What did he say verse 19? I know your works. I know your works, your love, your faith, your service, patient endurance. I know everything about you. Every single little thing, the good, the bad, the ugly, I know your love. I know how well you love. I know how well you care for others. I know your faith. Whether it's genuine or not genuine faith, he knows it. He searches the hearts of men. Your service, that you're willing to do the work and serve and act in ways that point others towards me. Your patient endurance, that they don't give up after a little while. They're faithfully enduring all the trials of life the hardships that come with it. It says the latter works exceed the first, which really is the complete opposite of what we saw at the church at Ephesus, is it not? The church, church at Ephesus, they had good works. They had right theology. But if we remember back to the first night we studied this, the church at Ephesus had lost their first love. They started running really hard and then kind of gave way, had kind of run off course had started panting and needing help. They were struggling. Thyatira was not the case. They hadn't forgotten their first love. They were still pursuing him. And what they did later on was better than how they started. They were doing better works than when they started. So how in the world can your latter works exceed the first and there still be a problem? Let's see what he says in verse 20 through 23. He says this, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Tolerate. This was the issue. There was their tolerance. That's the third thing we see here. So what does tolerance mean? Oxford gives a definition of this, to allow the existence, occurrence, or practice without interference. To allow... The existence, occurrence, or practice of without interference. So you're allowing this. You're tolerating this. You're allowing this to continue with no issue, with no problems. You're tolerant of it. So these things that were going on, and the context here, is that they were not addressing problems. This church had a lady by the name of Jezebel. If you go back to 1 Kings and 2 Kings, we see Queen Jezebel who led the men of Israel astray to, to practice all kinds of sexual morality. And this is exactly what this lady's done. She is leading them astray, and obviously she was someone of importance. Obviously she was someone that had leadership capabilities. Obviously she was somebody that a, group, a large enough group of people were following that when Jesus writes to this church, he says, you tolerate, you put up with. 
You, you don't make it stop. You, you are allowing this to exist. And what is the problem that Jezebel's doing? What is the issue here? Where well, he says, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. Well, why is that a problem? Well, if we remember in Acts at the Jerusalem Council, when they decided, are we going to let the Gentiles come into the family or not let the Gentiles come into the family? These were the two big things. The, the Jerusalem Council said, okay, we're going to let the Gentiles in, but please, two things. We have two stipulations for Gentiles to become part of the family. Stop eating food sacrificed to idols and stop practicing sexual immorality. Like, just because you're free in Christ doesn't mean you're free to do whatever you want to. There's two stipulations, and then we have Jezebel comes in. It's like, guys, it's not that big a deal. Y'all go on. You're at liberty to do whatever you want to do. And that's what they're thinking here. And so practicing sexual immorality, they're, they're eating food sacrificed to idols. And then we see in verse 21, he gives her this charge. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. I've given her this time to, to turn around, to, to flee from this, to, to come back to me, and yet it's not happening. She doesn't desire to come back to me. She, she doesn't want to repent. So what's going on here? Well, remember, we, we talked about the guilds were central to the lifeblood of society in Thyatira. If you wanted economic gain, you had to be part of one of these guilds. And part of what the guilds did is they had worship of the bronze god. Or they did worship of this little deity. And as they gathered in worship, they would have these times in guild parties, is a better way to say it, is when they would come to these guild parties, they would offer sacrifices. And then they would eat the food that they sacrificed to whatever god to help make this guild successful, to help with the economy they had. And they would practice sexual morality, which is often a common practice in pagan worship. And so what's happening in Thyatira is these Christians are struggling because they're not really being faithful to some of the guild traditions. And people are like, bro, you ain't going to do this, you're out. We're not going to give you this job. We're not going to hook you up. And Jezebel says, guys, we know this God's not real. We know this really doesn't matter. Go help yourself out. Don't worry about the troubles of life. You do you and go eat the food. Go to the parties. It's not that big a deal because all you have to do is repent and ask God to forgive you. And he's going to forgive you. This was the issue at hand. It's because they had a freedom in Christ, they were teaching, Jezebel was teaching them, and the church was perfectly okay with this, this freedom in Christ to exercise and do whatever sin you want to. And Jesus says, no, not a chance. Repent. Come back to me. We see this in Hebrews, that this, this picture of God calling out to his children, and he disciplines them out of love. He disciplines them because he wants them to have right behavior. He disciplines them because he wants them to come back to him. And as they continue to rebel against him, he calls them to repentance. And they're not interested in it. They're, they're not interested in doing what he's called them to do. They want to continue to live and do whatever they want to. Now, this is the, the, the thing. Do we have guilds today that we have to go out and work at and make people happy at to succeed in life? No. Most of us. Maybe in other countries guilds still exist. Maybe it's something similar to 
uh, a union, I don't know, but different than a union because unions don't have like sacrifices to the union God. I, I mean, but along those same lines, like they took care of themselves. But what issues do we have today of tolerance? Hey, you know, Brother Matthew, I, I couldn't come this week. I had a big test. I've had all week to study, but you know, Wednesday night's the best time to, to study. So my brain's my sharpest. Or, or hey, Brother Matthew, you just don't understand. Like, I have this big project I've known for about a month on, and, you know, I had other things in life came up. So, you know, Wednesday night was a great time to miss the gathering of the body. And so was Sunday morning. You know, it's just so hard to wake up sometimes. Brother Matthew, you just don't know. Or, Brother Matthew, you just don't understand my coach. Like, when he schedules practice, you're going to make practice. You don't, you don't make the team. Or, 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 Brother Matthew, you just don't understand. When, when, when we do this, this type of event, or it, it's, it's time for color guard, or it's time for band, or it's time for drama, you just don't understand we have to miss. We can't be there. You just, don't, you just don't understand. And we become tolerant of faithfully missing church because we allow other things to become more important than church. To allow other things to become more important than the word. More important than gathering with the body. That's a similar instance we have here. Not only that, but if we want to continue this idea of teaching things to go contrary to scripture, so many times we live in a culture that doesn't like the idea of sin. And the, the idea of addressing sin is, is hate speech. So we're, we're going to tolerate people going to hell because they're in relationships that are completely contrary to what Scripture teaches. We're going to tolerate people going to hell because they live a lifestyle of rebellion to God. And we're going to say, Brother Matthew, you don't understand. Love is love. Brother Matthew, the, the, the Bible is an ancient book. And we slowly but surely submit to the laws of Satan. And we allow culture in our current circumstances to dictate, did God really say that? This is the heart of what he's getting at here. It's as you've allowed this person to come into your lives and is teaching things contrary to what I've taught you and you're perfectly okay with it. I've told them to repent and they don't want to repent. And so he turns here and he says in verse 22, Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed. And those who commit adultery with her, I will throw into great tribulation, lest they repent. Three times in two, two verses, repent. Three times. I would say that's significant. Turn from your ways. And yet, he says that the punishment is, I'm going to make her sick. Those who are with her are going to go into great tribulation. They're going to have great distress. They're going to have some problems. They're going to have some issues. And as a result, I'm going to strike her children dead. That all the churches may know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I give each one according to your works. So he says there's going to be a judgment that comes according to what you do. And he sees our heart. He sees our minds. We might be doing the right things, but if our heart's not there, God knows. We might be saying the right things, but our mind's saying something completely different. God knows that there's a judgment that comes to them for their tolerance of this lady Jezebel, that they want to run and do things contrary to what Scripture teaches. And he continues on into this latter part of this following after him as they want to physically leave. They, they, they were abandoning the truth. They are tolerating these things. And I will say this, in the seven and a half years of, of doing student ministry, when students have faithfully picked extracurricular activities over the regular gathering of the body, I have never seen a single student faithful in the church after they graduate. They might show up on a Sunday every now and then, but they're not growing. They're not serving the kingdom. 
When I was in North Carolina, we had basketball was king up there. Because we have snow, we had games that had to be canceled or rescheduled, and there was one year that they rescheduled 13 weeks worth of basketball games on Wednesday night. 13 weeks, 13 weeks straight, the basketball team was playing games. Every one of those players, whether they were JV boys, JV girls, varsity boys, varsity girls, not a single one of them do I know that's in church today. And what does culture do? Brother Matthew, you just don't understand it's basketball season. And you know what my response was? Well, you don't understand you're not going to make it to college. <laughs> like, not a single one of them is in church today. We sit back and we allow culture to dictate what's acceptable and unacceptable because we want to be accepted more than running hard after the king. This is the issue of Thyatira, and he warns them. He goes off to this last little bit here in verses 24 through 28. He says this, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold the teaching or who have not learned some of what they call the dark, deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do, I do not lay any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who con conquers and who gets to keep my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule with them with a rod of iron and earthen pots and broken pieces, even as I have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 24. For those of you that aren't submitting, listening, practicing the teachings of Jezebel, this teaching of doctrine, of, of eating food sacrificed to idols, and running after sexual immorality who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. Well, what do we think these deep things of Satan are? It's what a lot of scholars think. It's what Robert Mount said. He says this, Knowing Satan's deep secrets is a reference to the view that in order to appreciate fully the grace of God, one must plumb the depths of evil, period. Later, Gnosticism boasted that it was precisely by entering into the stronghold of Satan that believers could learn the limits and powers and emerge victorious, or to put it in more basic terms. These deep things of Satan is Ross, are at liberty to sin because grace abounds. All you have to do is repent. Go sin as much as you want to, and the more you sin, the further away from God you go, and you ask God to forgive you, and you climb back out of that hole, the more you understand God's love and God's grace. So go sin. It's okay. You're at liberty. Go, go do these things. All you got to do is repent. Paul says something completely opposite of that. Paul says that we continue to sin that grace may abound. May it never be. Like that's screaming from the text. Not a chance. So he tells them, those of you that have not fallen to this, those who you're submitting and faithfully and drawing into God and worshiping God and doing all the right things, to y'all, you get to receive authority with me. And the greatest thing we get is we get Jesus. It says that we get the morning star. We get to experience Christ himself. We get to draw into him. This is a reference to Revelation 26, 16, where he's called the, the morning star. We get Christ himself, and that is the real prize. Truth is, so many of us can come here and go through the motions 
and say the right things and think the right things. We can go to camp and we can come back home and still be tolerant of sin. Still be tolerant of being unfaithful. He says out the world, sexual immorality, another way of thinking of that is also spiritual infertility. Meaning that we let other things come before our relationship with God. That's an adultery we see today. I mean, what, what things in our life do we allow to come before him? What things in our life do we make excuses for and say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's just, you know, one semester. Well, one semester, six years out of your life equals up to half the time you would have been in youth. That's a pretty good bit. What things do we allow to captivate ourselves? What things do we allow to draw ourselves away? What things do we waste our time on that does not matter? What things do we tolerate that God's word says we should repent of? So how do we respond tonight? I think the first thing we, we, we have to think through or ask ourselves is are we like Jezebel? Are we pushing others away from God? Or are we telling them, you know, hey, just listen, it's not that big a deal. Everybody does it. It's okay to do that. This is 2023, people. This, this book is 2,000 plus years old. It doesn't understand today's context and culture. It doesn't understand how we live today. Are we undermining the word of God to feel better about ourselves? Are we telling other people that it's okay and they're at liberty to sin? Are, are we... Leading others to love culture more than ourselves. Or are we having spiritual infidelity, meaning that we're allowing other things to come before our relationship with God and say that it's not that big a deal? How often does God call us back to repentance? How often does God say, come back to me? This is the thing. I want you to hear this very clearly tonight, guys. God knows each and every one of us intimately. Actually, that, that picture there the, 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 has eyes like a flame and fire. The imagery there in Hebrews, where we continue this, this theory, that I know your works, your love, your patient endurance, but I have these things against you, this imagery of God seeing all things, that he, he, he knows us in our most intimate, and he says in verse 23 that I, I search mind and heart. The, the imagery there in the Hebrew is this idea of your kidneys and your heart. Because I thought your kidneys con contained emotion, which sounds crazy to me. But he knows you that well. To the depths of that. And who are we to think that we can fake God? Who, who, who are we to think that, that we can play this part and God doesn't see through us? We can be some of the greatest actors in the world, and God knows us intimately. He knows when we fake it. He knows when we're real. He knows when it's truthful. He knows when it's a show. God knows us intimately, and God calls us to not be a Jezebel. God calls us not to go out tolerating things. God calls us not to practice spiritual infidelity. God calls us to love him and pursue him, and his call to Jezebel is the same call to us tonight, is to repent. Stop playing games. 
Come back to him. Love him. Worship him. Pursue him. Live a life on mission for him. Because he alone is worthy. Everything that you pursue in life, everything you think is great and grand and I just got to run after this and you just don't understand I need to be a part of this thing, it is going to end. Everything. Every hobby has a shelf life. No matter how much we love it, no matter how much we pursue it, it has a time where it will end. The only thing in this life that is not going to have a shelf life is Christ. He alone is worthy of our attention. He alone is worthy of our heart. He alone is worthy of every aspect of our lives. And when we endure, when we pursue after him, when we love him with all of ourself and all of our being, at the end of days, when he calls us home to be with him, we get Christ. He alone is worth it. He is the prize in which our hearts long for. So the question that is left for you tonight is this. Will you give yourself to him? Or you keep playing games with him? Will you keep being a Jezebel who knows what to say, knows how to act, and tells people it's okay. We all do it. It's okay to do that. Just repent. It's going to be okay. It's not that big a deal. So we come to this time of invitation. Whatever it is God's laid on your heart, be obedient to that. If you need to come up here to the altar and pray, you need to come up here and confess, you need to grab an adult, do that. But my prayer for you tonight, as we look at the church at Thyatira, is that God can say our latter works are greater than our first. But my prayer is God doesn't look at us and go, you Jezebel. You who say you love God, but your heart is far from him. May we not be people that enable people from sinning, but we may be a people that call people out for sin. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for tonight. God, I thank you for this time you've given us. Lord, I pray as we come to this time of invitation. Lord, I pray that, Lord, whatever it is you're calling us to do, God, I pray that we'll be obedient to it. Lord, I pray, God, if there's people in here that are fake, God, I pray you convict them so hard in this moment. God, they'll realize that what awaits them eternity it's not a, a, a Christ that says, well done, my good and faithful servant, but more or less someone that says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. God, life is too short to be an imposter. May we learn to be obedient to you and quit playing games with you. God, quit permitting others to sin because we think it's funny or because it's cute or because we want to be accepted. God, may we learn that it's okay to be an outcast what it means to be faithful to you. God, whatever your heart's dealing with, your spirit's dealing with us tonight, God, may we be obedient and not afraid of what other people may think. It's in Christ and we pray. Amen.